Join us on this episode, our last episode for season one, which was dedicated to setting the wellbeing at work context. In this episode, we talk about the power of language and how we can use language to build a culture of wellbeing, where we all feel valued, included, like we matter and we belong. So hello and welcome to the Workplace Wellbeing Natters podcast, wellbeing that works for the health and community services sector. I'm Linda, my pronouns are she, her. I'm a facilitator, coach and trainer specialising in wellbeing. And I'm Danielle, my pronouns are she, her. I'm a wellbeing specialist and a psychology student. We would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the land of the Gunai Kurnai people and to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the demand for services currently being experienced by the sector and that this impacts everyone in different ways, including contributing to poor mental health and wellbeing outcomes. So we encourage you to be compassionate to yourself and to others. So Danielle, today we're talking about the language of wellbeing. We are, and I love this topic, Linda, the power of language. What I really love is how with some simple changes to the words we use, we can make a big difference to our own wellbeing and to other people's too. Language is really important to me because I've often been on the uh, end of healthcare treatment and the language used by the people treating me, if it's person-centred, respectful and positive, can absolutely transform my experience as a patient. Language is how we communicate from the written or spoken word, sign language to our body language and our facial expressions. What about images? Images, music, even emojis maybe? Emojis, it's probably a newer one to the list in expressing language, but uh, I guess it does kind of convey that message and language is the tool that we use to help us understand ourselves and each other and to create and make sense of the world. So I think you could add emojis in there. Uh, So if you've been following us on our podcast journey, you would have heard us say in our very first episode that the language we use can shape how we see the world our thoughts, our feelings and our expectations. You also would have heard us offer some broad definitions on some key terms like well-being, workplace well-being, mentally healthy workplaces and thriving workplaces. And we've done this because to understand and engage with workplace well-being really requires we first build our language of well-being or our well-being literacy. And we're going to dive into this in a little more detail today. A strong caveat here first, we're not language experts. I'm not a linguistic expert. I'm not even particularly great with grammar. So we're going to skip over the history and mechanics of language and focus on how we can use language to build a culture of well-being, to create mental health awareness and to have inclusive and supporting work environments where we feel like we belong and we feel like we matter because language can be a really powerful tool to build a healthy, positive and inclusive workplace. And right from the start, we want to highlight the importance of talking to others, our workmates and colleagues, about what language means to them, how they like to communicate, and also just not assuming that we know all the answers. So if we think about it, how often do we actually consider the words we're using and the impact that they're having for ourselves and for others? When was the last time you paid attention to or really thought about what you were saying? Because often the words we use are on autopilot or we use them out of habit or because it's considered socially appropriate. Words might actually lose their meaning or we might not think about the meaning of what we're saying. And of course, the reality is that the words we choose and use can have a huge impact depending on how we use them or who we use them with. Yeah, exactly. And this impact can be positive. So words can help. They can lift us up. They can bring us together. 
and help us feel included like we belong and like we and our work matter. Or they can be negative. They can affect our confidence. It can exert pressure, can be used to create division, and they can also be used with the intent to harm and can lead us to feel like we've been excluded. This is true whether we are communicating to others or to ourselves. So just as much as the way we talk to others is important, it's equally about how we talk to ourselves. And when I was thinking about this episode and what we might talk about, I kept coming back to this saying that was quite common when I was a kid. You know, when someone would say something mean to you and you would respond with, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. (laughs) But now as an adult, I know that it's really not that simple. One of the reasons is because we can have an emotional response to the language when we read it, speak it or hear it. There's so much more to this and there's some really, really fascinating research on the psychology of language and around the neuroscience of language or what happens in our brains when we communicate. Which is great stuff and we could certainly go down a rabbit hole with that, but we're not going to get into that detail today. So think about the last time that someone praised you or they said thank you, or they told you they appreciate you, or someone used your correct pronouns. Notice how you feel in this response. Alternatively, think about the last time someone said something really hurtful, or they unfairly criticised you, or when someone made no attempt to learn your pronouns. Or even when they just don't refer to you as a person. So what does this bring up for you, and how does this affect you in your life and in your work? Language or communication used poorly can affect how our sense of belonging, our sense of selves, and also that we matter at work. And there are a few things or a few ways we can use language to build a culture of well-being that we keep talking about, which we are getting to very soon. Um, before we get to that, though, we've mentioned belonging and mattering a couple of times now. So what do these actually mean? Belonging is a sense of fitting in or feeling like you're an important member of a group. So first and foremost, people who have a sense that they belong at work report higher levels of well-being. They also view their workplace more positively, they perform better and are more productive. Whereas mattering is about the level to which we make a difference in the world around us or think that we make a difference in the world around us. At work, it's also about our perception and feeling that the work we do matters. And this is particularly relevant for health and community services. Right, because lots of us join the sector because we do genuinely want to make a difference. Yeah, in fact, there was a survey um, that came out last year and that showed the top five factors that motivated people to work in the mental health and wellbeing sector was because of an interest or passion in the field and a desire to help others. So a desire for their work to matter and to make a difference to those they support. And I think this translates to the people we support too in terms of feeling valued and also the experience that they have when they're being supported as well. So how can we use language to make a difference? Well, this is where wellbeing literacy is key to wellbeing at work. So in simple terms, wellbeing literacy is about the way we understand and use language to maintain or improve wellbeing for ourselves or others. There was a really useful article released last year about wellbeing literacy, and we'll add a link to that in the show notes for anyone who might be interested. But the article went through five elements of wellbeing literacy. So the first is about our knowledge and vocabulary. So the words or basic facts that we have about wellbeing. And the second is about comprehension. So the reading, listening or viewing of wellbeing. And the third is about composing. So creating, writing or speaking about and for wellbeing. 
The fourth is about context. So awareness of different contexts and using wellbeing language that's appropriate to the context. So it's fit for purpose. You would talk about wellbeing differently to a child than you would an adult, for example, or you might talk about wellbeing at home differently to wellbeing at work. And the fifth and final is intentionality. And so this is about using language with intention to improve or maintain wellbeing. So what this all boils down to is that to have a culture of wellbeing means supporting ourselves and others to firstly build our own wellbeing literacy. And if we can develop our capability for wellbeing literacy, it can help us to think and talk about wellbeing, what it means to us individually and collectively, and what will be helpful for our wellbeing. And so then it's like the ripple effect. This can then inform choices that a workplace might make when it comes to their mental health and wellbeing strategies or their workplace wellbeing programs. Another way we can use language to create a culture of wellbeing is by using inclusive language. This is really helpful as well that when we are building our wellbeing literacy, we do it in a way that acknowledges diversity and conveys respect to all people. So the Diversity Council of Australia has some really good information about inclusive language in their guide called Words at Work, Building Inclusion Through the Power of Language. Great title. It is, isn't it? So in the guide, they say inclusive language enables everyone in your organisation to feel valued and respected and one of the team rather than undervalued, disrespected and out of place or excluded. So we can hear there that they're talking about inclusive language to build our sense of belonging. And they go on to say how we speak to and about each other influences how we treat each other. And so it builds our workplace culture. So the guide um, suggests inclusive language is respectful, accurate and relevant to all. There's also some really great examples of what inclusive language is. So for instance, they suggest to focus on the person first rather than the demographic group they might belong to. Other examples are to use gender neutral language. So instead of saying hi guys, um, which is something I hear quite a lot, you could say hi everyone. I tend to use the word folks. So if I'm facilitating a workshop or something like that, I'll just say, hi, folks. Um, and interestingly, I think that means everyone in general. So, <laughs> so it probably just means the same thing as, hi, everyone. Another example could be using the right or correct pronouns, or it could be about asking the person what language they use for themselves or their preferred way of communicating. Some examples of non-inclusive language might be job titles like saying chairman um, when you could use chairperson or it could be assuming a person's pronouns or intentionally using incorrect pronouns. It might be calling someone who's experiencing mental health problems some derogatory terms that we commonly hear like, you know, crazy or nuts or psycho when we know that these are disrespectful and not helpful. And a quick note here, if I may, often people talk about mental health or people with a mental health condition use the term suffer from. So they suffer from depression or they suffer from bipolar disorder. And while yes, of course, some people do suffer with mental health problems or mental health conditions, there are also people who have learned to manage this in a way that is meaningful and helpful for them. And they're able to flourish and thrive alongside their mental health diagnosis. So Using suffering is another generalised, non-inclusive term. And an, a simple alternative is to say people who experience mental health conditions and, and then let people decide for themselves what their story means for them. That really stops then making assumptions about what the experience of uh, a mental health diagnosis is like for a person. 
So the research shows that using inclusive language at work builds our sense of belonging, helps us feel like we matter and also like we're included. From an organisational perspective, it should really come as no surprise that those of us who feel included, who feel like we matter, we perform better and we're also more productive as well. On the other side, research shows that language that is not inclusive can be harmful for the person on the receiving end, but also for anyone who might witness it as well. So we know that non-inclusive language can increase stigma and stereotyping and can create hostile work environments. And of course, this can lead to demotivation, decreased performance and decreased productivity as well. And so a lot of times you hear people saying like, this is just political correctness gone mad or that's so PC or there are more important issues. And so the Words at Work guide goes into some detail around, you know, busting these myths and it addresses that as well, which I think is really valuable. Another really great guide around inclusive language is available on the Minus 18 website. And so Minus 18 are champions for LGBTQIA plus youth. And so they've, as I said, they've got that link on their guide. And so it does say that the guide was written for use by Victorian public sector employees. It has some really great information in it, though, about how to use language respectfully and inclusively. Uh, So another good guide to look at if you want to learn more. So as well as inclusive language, we also have person-centred and recovery-oriented language. And we touched a bit on these already. So person-centred language is about putting the person first and is also about being respectful. I personally have been uh, referred to as a pacemaker, a fainter, and I can't remember other things in the healthcare system. And for me, I think I'm actually neither of those things and I'm all of those things, but I'm a person first. So person-centered language for me is really important. Recovery language uses words a person uses to describe themselves, their story, and also their supports. And we know that person-centered and recovery-oriented language is important. We know that certain language, especially when it comes to mental health problems or for people with a disability, may be problematic, especially if it's perpetuating negative stereotypes or might be glamorizing or sensationalizing experiences or events. Something that I hear quite a lot is the casual use of mental health conditions to describe everyday life experiences. Things like, everyone's a little OCD. Or if you're particularly clean or like things in a set way, you might say, I'm a bit OCD. Or I'm so depressed when you might be sad or unhappy about something. And there's a big difference between feeling unhappy or sad in the moment and depression. These are two examples, but often used for many other health conditions as well. And we might not think anything of it, but research shows it can be quite harmful to casually use language like this. It adds to the myths and stigma about mental health and can also devalue and minimise the lived experience of a person with a mental health condition. Yeah, I think we still talk about physical health and mental health quite differently and it's something that we can be better at. I agree, absolutely. And um, if you want to know more about recovery-oriented language, the Mental Health Coordinating Council have a great document on this and we'll link to that in our show notes as well. Throughout our podcast, we also want to hear from you about what is important to you when it comes to workplace wellbeing. And so we've asked some people working in the sector what language means to you and this is what we heard. So first up, we have Kerry who says, I feel that language is very important. 
It's also what our bodies say, not just the words. The word with the most pain attached to it is the word but. It created incredible layers of judgment. You did a great job, but it negates anything before it. A simple word, but it is loaded with many layers that will cause pain. So true. Great insight from Kerry there. Now we'll hear from Karen, who's talking about positive and negative language as well. Negative language that impacts is any blaming language, any language that uses a negative tone, and also stating the obvious when you've got a professional and competent workplace. And when the morning briefing starts with a negative tone, it can set the tone for the rest of the day, which is quite unfortunate, I think. So thanks to our contributors, Kerry and Karen, for your contribution. You both raised really great points. And uh, Kerry, your point about the word but. When we were studying uh, wellbeing together, Danielle, one of the activities we did was around a yes but party. So one of us would say something and then the next person around the table needed to say but. Yes, so um, but... I've got something else on. Yeah. And then simply changing it to the word yes or yes and really change the energy just by making that simple one word change in the way we communicated. Yeah, I was really astounded. One, The change of one word uh, made such a big difference to the energy and the enthusiasm and it was quite quite a great activity to do and really eye-opening on the, the importance of language, even one word. Karen also raised some really great points around negative language, especially around tone, which is something that we haven't spoken much about. And also with positive language, and these comments tie in with what the research shows that using positive words, a thank you, uh, and an I appreciate the work you've done today, boosts our well-being. Uh, and while we're talking about language and the power of the words we use, I want to highlight something that I heard a lot last year. Not quite so much this year. It's another example of how language can impact a workplace. So let's look at the word heroes. Throughout the COVID pandemic, we've heard the word hero thrown around a lot to refer to people who work in health and community services, more specifically for doctors and nurses or our healthcare heroes during the pandemic. And so those who work in health and community service roles do an amazing job to look after the health and well-being of our community and they absolutely 100% should be acknowledged and appreciated for their work. This is what this workforce does every day of the year, year after year. So it made me wonder, why the hero label now? Is it because they've taken on extra work, extra hours, extreme pressure, caring for COVID patients, running testing centres and vaccination centres, at an increased personal risk to themselves. And this is where we can think about the language we use and the message it sends. If we think about heroes, and I might have become slightly addicted to watching Marvel movies recently, <laughs> heroes are selfless. They sacrifice their own needs for others. They often have superhuman powers. The hero leads us to victory and gets the job done, no matter the personal cost to themselves. And so I wonder what message does this language send? What are the consequences, intentional or unintentional? And does calling health professionals heroes get in the way of having a really meaningful discussion about health and safety at work? And does it change our expectations of what we expect people who work in this field to cope with? 
Great reflective questions, Danielle. Lots to unpack there. And there is some really interesting research on this topic, which suggests the hero label is more harmful than helpful. So we'd love to hear from people in the sector. How do you feel about being called a hero? Does it resonate with you or not? Um, So get in contact and let us know. Now that we've had some time to, to think about and reflect on the power of language, we invite you to think about what this means for you and your workplace. How can you increase the wellbeing literacy in your workplace or just in your own life to create a culture of wellbeing where people feel like they matter and they belong? Now we're coming up to the end of the episode, which is also the end of the season for us. So let's do a quick summary first of what we've spoken about today. We've highlighted the power of language and how the way we communicate, including the language and words we use, can be helpful or harmful. Creating a culture of well-being where we all feel like we belong and matter, it requires being more purposeful in the way we communicate and the words we use. And improving our well-being literacy to support others to develop a language of well-being that is meaningful and useful is key to building well-being at work. We've also heard about how it's really helpful to use inclusive, person-centred and recovery-oriented language. We have so loved connecting with you and sharing insights into the power of language today and also more broadly this season while we've unpacked the context of well-being at work. Now we are taking a small break in between seasons and then we will be back with season two where we start looking at workplace well-being done well. So please enjoy the break and join us for that. In our show notes, of course, today, we'll also have links that might support you on your journey towards workplace well-being. And we will perhaps just pop up all of the notes and resources that we've talked about throughout the season as well. As always, we want to know what you think have been inspired by any questions you would like answered or if you'd like to make any contributions to the podcast. So please reach out and contact us at matters at workplacewellbeingnatters.com.au. And we look forward to seeing you in season two. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now. Bye for now.